Hi, I'm Lee, and we are the Rewinders, rewatching childhood movies to see if they still hold up. And I watched Prince of Darkness. Yeah, I know Joe isn't here again. He's a busy man, so we've been doing every other week until he figures out some stuff in life. I know he's been out. He went on a sabbatical to Tibet. And he only gets Wi-Fi every once in a while, so that's when I've been checking in with him every other week. So hopefully he'll come down from those mountains being a changed man. But we had agreed upon continuing Spooky Wookieathon into November because we like horror movies and it's fun. So why not? Prince of Darkness is a continuation of John Carpenter's trilogy of the apocalypse. He, we started it with The Thing, which we reviewed, Joe and I did, continued with this one, and then it'll end with In the Mouth of Madness. None of the movies are tied directly together. None of the characters are the same. Uh, and there's no storyline connection. The only thing that connects them is it's from John Carpenter, and it's a story about the apocalypse. And that's really about it. Sort of like how Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, and Edgar Wright have their Cornetto trilogy with Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and At World's End. It's sort of the same idea, just more themes and having fun or done by the same people and actors that that they like are in these movies. So there's that. But you might not have heard of even Prince of Darkness. I know I really didn't. The main thing I noticed when I was a kid was the cover. It's this creepy stretched face of a man screaming and there's green something or other spewing out of a church of some kind. But the art was interesting, you know, when, I guess, back in the day, when we went out and had to go to a, a rental shop in Pulaski. It was a local IGA before a Van Lannan video came around. And you had to, uh, yeah, look at all these different cover art and determine which movie was good based on that. And sometimes the back, of course, and how crazy some of the still pictures were. But I just remember the art of this and not being, not knowing really what it's about. And then the name, Prince of Darkness, kind of didn't really help. So as a kid, I, I didn't really see this. I, I remember the cover more than anything. And I didn't check this movie out until I was probably in my late teens or early 20s. At that point, I started getting more and more into horror and was getting bigger and bigger uh, John Carpenter fan. But still, this one was the one I kind of missed. I don't know what, why, I just... It's the one I missed. And when I first watched it as a teenager, I was kind of confused. I really didn't know what was going on because this movie does not hold your hand whatsoever. And at the time, John Carpenter made this movie on his own. He got done making Big Trouble in Little China. And he was kind of sick of the big studio telling him what to do. So he did this movie independently and he got full control of the movie. So it's kind of a different different uh, story, I guess. Or at least he wanted to make a different story horror story than he normally would. I really don't have any other memories besides it just being kind of a difficult watch, to be honest, trying to figure out what's going on. So I will do my best to kind of go through the plot for Prince of Darkness. And as always, spoiler for any Rewinder review. I had mentioned that John Carpenter wrote this and tried to do something new. What he wanted to do with this screenplay was combine science and religion together. He wanted to have a religious something evil, and also try to combine science into that, a way of science explaining that evil does exist. And that is in this movie, but is very sprinkled throughout. And again, this movie does not hold your hand at all in telling you there isn't a character that just goes out and says, this is because of this. It's more of the characters are trying to figure out themselves 
and not really having an answer and really leaving it up to you, the viewer, to figure it out yourself and find the clues that are hidden throughout this movie. So this movie starts off with a really good intro music. It's done by John Carpenter, so it fits his movies very, very well. And it's just a spooky, ethereal type music throughout the entire movie, and I really enjoy it. But we have a really unfortunate long credit sequence. This thing lasts about 10 minutes. It's really strange. It cuts back and forth from all just all the credits and cuts to various scenes throughout the movie, then cuts back and forth. And that kind of hurts the movie. It's, I know nowadays credit, there aren't really opening credits anymore in movies. We just kind of get into it right away. Sometimes you don't even know the title of the movie and just I mean, you should know the title of the movie. You put in the VHS in the VCR. You've paid the ticket to go see it in the theater. So you should probably know what movie you're already watching. But that's something I think would have helped this movie if, if it just got right to the story. So the story is uh, an old priest dies on his bed and he's got a little box. Later on, we find out that it's a key. And he also had a diary. This is one of the first clues. He's part of the Brotherhood of Sleep. And in his little diary, it says, The sleeper has awakened. Then we have this other character, a professor of some kind. He's a professor of theoretic physics, and he's being portrayed by Victor Wong, who is awesome. He was Eggy, Egg Shen in Big Trouble in Little China, so I'm a fan there. But this theoretical physicist professor is having a little class in a college, but all the students are definitely older. They're not 20 years old, but they are definitely not there as regular students. It's sort of like they are extra bit of study that they have that the, that these students are doing anyway there's a solar eclipse happening that some characters look up at to every once in a while then we have donald pleasance he's playing the priest in the movie and if you don't know who donald pleasance is shame on you you should know who donald pleasance is um he plays the main guy in halloween another john carpenter movie he's the one trying to stop michael myers but Donald Pleasance, priest, he is now in charge of this other priest's body that has died, and he really doesn't know what's going on. He gets his key, and he goes to this old abandoned church in L.A. somewhere, and it's a real location, which is awesome. Goes inside of this church and opens up this creepy, huge door, but we really don't know what it, what's behind that door just yet. We're introduced to kind of a creepy character, in my opinion. It, it's The character's name is Brian. He's just blonde-haired mustache. I think the actor was in Simon to Simon, a TV show from the 80s. I never saw it. I just kind of know of it. But this guy is just kind of creepily watching this red-headed woman, another student in his class. But it's still kind of weird. And I don't know. It just didn't really... He wasn't charismatic at all. And they eventually had this whole love affair. They hit it off. And so they're kind of together. They sleep together. And none of it affects the movie really at all, even at the end. It's just kind of, it's just a strange love thing getting together. And it's not important, so I'm just going to mention it now. And I'm going to forget about it with the rest of the review. So after Donald Pleasance, the priest, I'll just call him the priest because I don't think he has a character name. He needs the professor's help into figuring something out. He takes him to the church. They go down there and there's old crosses. There's crosses everywhere in this room. And then they find this big swirling cylindrical mass of green liquid, which looks pretty awesome. And it looks like it's the ends, the tips of the cylinder are covered in goop, like it's dried. It's like maybe it tried escaping or just to show that it's a really old thing. And he needs to figure out what this thing is. The, The priest doesn't know what it is. And he needs the help of the of the professor to help him out. So the professor gets all of his students together, basically says, all right, 
I'm going to give you good grades if you come help me this weekend. And we're going to set up in this old church, bring all these equip, all this equipment, and figure out what is inside of that cylinder. What is this green goop? There's also this book that they have, and it's this strange, I wouldn't necessarily call it a Bible, but a bunch of the priests, the, the Brotherhood of Sleep, they were translating it, but also it's kind of confusing that the movie kind of says, or the characters kind of say that the book is being rewritten constantly in different languages and with numbers as well, with mathematical sequences hidden throughout this entire book or, some, or something like that. So I don't know if the priests were rewriting it or if the book itself is rewriting itself. That isn't necessarily uh, said out loud exactly what it is. But so we have all the students of various um, departments and they start trans. Some one person starts translating this book into actual text. She's a, a theological and um, language professional, and she goes through and she starts translating this. And a lot of it just says weird, creepy stuff. And I think that was just John Carpenter's intention. It's, they aren't Bible quotes. There's stuff like and the darkness fell as the one was now banished from the sky. Things like that. It, it says. So as they're doing this, they start to figure out that the liquid appears to be sentient. Also, the data, the book has different equations and mathematical equations that are far past the mathematician who's studying it can understand what this is. And that's in this ancient old book. Maybe I think they said the book was 2000 years old, but the the green goop is even older. I think they said maybe seven million years old. And then the church found it and has has kept it secret, but something is happening where they, they the priest feels that it's leaking, that it can't be hidden any longer. It's going to be coming out for whatever reason, and and they have to stop it. But another clue in the movie is again, the movie doesn't tell you anything. Is Brian, the creepy guy with the mustache? He's just watching television, and in the television broadcast it talks about this supernova explosion and the antimatter particles or something like that have now reached earth. And so the movie's kind of trying to tell you that because of this explosion, these antimatter particles or whatever are now affecting this goop and it's coming to life. While the students are setting up in the church and they've been studying this thing for a while, we start to see the a bunch of homeless people led by Alice Cooper and they are surrounding the church. They just have, first they're just kind of standing there watching them creepily, but then more and more come. And actually one person tries escaping and he gets stabbed through the chest by a bike spoke or a bicycle something or other. And that's pretty cool. Good death there. So all the homeless people are kind of like the lost souls and the liquid is controlling them. And now they have surrounded the church so no one can leave. They've even put junk and whatever they could over the door. So now they're, they're kind of trapped in there. And throughout the, the two days that the people, the students are in there, they notice the, that they're surrounded and just being stared by the mob of, of homeless people that are now being controlled. And of course, as you would, each of the members are exposed to this liquid one by one. One lady goes down there to, by, of course, by herself. And she sees that it's dripping out the top of the cylinder and it's forming a pool on the ceiling and that shoots out and hits her mouth. And now she's possessed. And she goes through, breaks a guy's neck and and possesses other people by spewing that liquid, that green ecto-cooler liquid into their mouths. And now they're being controlled. We have a scene between the priest and the professor. And the priest says, you have to help me prove 
mathematically that the liquid, which I believe to be uh, Satan of some kind or something evil, actually I believe that Antichrist, the, the son of Satan, is in the liquid or something like that. That's what the priest believes it is. And one thing that he says is you have to prove this to the rest of the outside world because now in modern culture, everyone uses common sense. They no longer have faith. They've lost faith in the church. And the whole idea of is what's that line? The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was making the world not believe in him anymore or believe that he didn't exist. And so that's the same idea here is this liquid or anti-evil anti-god that's trapped in antimatter is is getting more power, powerful because people don't believe in it. The priest needs a professor to figure it out mathematically so that he can prove that, mathematically prove that Satan evil exists in this thing. People start to believe in, in it again, and maybe that'll make this thing go back to sleep and they can stop possibly an apocalypse, which is kind of an interesting idea. I kind of like it. Uh, we also have many of the people trapped in the the church, they're starting having this reoccurring dream, and apparently they find out later on that's from a tachyon transmission sent from the warning from the future one nine, and that usually cuts off. And but there's this, it's a front uh, in in shot in a old VHS video style camera at the front of this church that they're in, and it's going by the gates, and you see this shadowy figure coming out of the front of the church with his arms outstretched and maybe robes of some kind, but you can't see who it is. And throughout the two days, people go to sleep, and they're having this reoccurring dream. Everyone is having the dream, whether they want to admit it or not. They they are having this weird dream, but it's not a dream. They start to talk that it's probably a warning from the future that something's going to happen in the year 1-9, and then it cuts off. Sometimes you get more and more detail as it gets closer, as time passes, a little bit more knowledge is being told in these these dreams of a possible outcome of their future, but they're not too sure. So eventually, other people are killed. There's a pretty good scene where one of the guys just doesn't, doesn't believe in anything, and he gets out, and he gets stabbed to death by a homeless person with half of a scissors and covered in bugs. He gets killed, but then he is reconstituted by the bugs, like he's a bug creature thing. And he says outside to the people inside is, I've got something to tell you, and you're not going to like this, but pray for God. And then he falls apart into a pile of bugs. There's a bunch of stuff. There's a the possessed people. They bring up this the goo from, from the basement while other people are trying to figure stuff out, talking about their dreams and whatnot. And it actually infects this other person named Kelly, one of the people. She she had bumped her arm and got a mark, like sort of like a cross with a little hook in the bottom. And that mark was in the written texture, the the I guess I'll call it the Bible that came with this Brotherhood of the Sleepers. They they have this mark on her arm now, and so she's been chosen. Is the idea that to be the next vessel of of this anti god? So they bring up the cylinder, and it's all absorbed into her face and eyes. It's kind of done as a reverse shot. They had this this mannequin that shot out the uh, green goo out of her eyes and mouth and just reversed it, which is kind of cool. So now she's possessed. A lot of the other people have been killed. They're, the remaining few people are trapped inside of a room. One of the other guys, who I didn't even mention about, uh, he's played by Dennis Dunn. He was also in Big Trouble Little China. I really like this guy, although he hasn't really done much of anything besides this movie and the other other John Carpenter movie. But I really like him, and he he's just 
he plays more of a trying to be like a ladies' man. He usually tries hitting on women, but it completely fails. And he's kind of look at him and give a weird look. But he's very persist- persistent, I guess. Uh, he's trapped in one of the rooms, but he he is able to watch the possessed people and uh, this person Kelly, who now is in in a way, I guess, pregnant, or she's been filled with the liquid, the anti-god, and she starts transforming. So he's able to tell the other people on the other side of the wall, trapped in a different room, what's kind of happening. An entire day goes by. They can't escape because all the homeless people are around everywhere. They're in, and then I'll have possessed people inside. What are we going to do? But like I said, an entire day goes by, and now Kelly is starting to uh, get up. She's starting to gain consciousness. Her skin is all melted off. And, and and she's she's starting to stand up and now gain control. And they have a big kind of fight of all the possessed people trying to attack in their survivors. Some of them get sprayed. But this really cool idea is that Kelly, the, the possessed woman, she picks up a little mirror, a little uh, compact makeup mirror, and she puts her fingers through it. And I think she says, like, daddy or something like that. She puts her fingers through the mirror like it's almost a portal. And in this other room, I forgot to mention that the the priest hid. He was terrified for all the crazy stuff happening, and he just hid in this other room behind this. I think it's a boiler room of some kind, and he's behind it hiding. He's just he. There's another possessed person in there, and this person is giggling and staring at this giant mirror. And this actor's performance as he's trying to reach towards the mirror, and is he's happy and sad at the same time you're not too sure if it's the possessed person is happy that this is the portal that can get satan out of wherever satan is located in different dimension or if also the person himself is fighting against being possessed and has just gone mad i don't know i really like it and we have the priest isn't behind he's he's just praying and reading the Bible to stay calm, but he's just absolutely terrified. So we have this big fight where the they finally get um, Walter's character out of the room with Kelly, the possessed person, and all the other possessed people. There, there's fights. He, they kind of throw the, some of the women that are possessed out the window, which is kind of funny. And then we have Kelly's attempt to open a portal in the small mirror doesn't work. She wanders around and she finds the big mirror and sh- she starts to open that up. Which And it's really cool. Her hand it gets put into the mirror, and it looks like mercury of some kind. And on the other side, you see another hand. It really looks like a typical Satan hand, like red, big hands with, with black fingernail claws. And she grabs it and starts pulling. While we're having a fight, some of the characters are, are being pinned down. They can't move because they're fighting against the other possessed people. But only one character, um, Catherine, she's the only one who's not possessed or free to act, runs in. She wants to help her boyfriend, Brian, who's being being tackled by a possessed person. But she also sees that, oh, this portal is actually pulling out Satan. Uh, what do I do? And then she just runs and tackles Kelly, and they go, fl- go both go flying into the portal at the same time. Oh, I m- forgot to mention that he found an axe found his courage and was hacking at Kelly. He, he hit one of her arms. It falls off, but she it, it, she instantly grows another one with regeneration. And then he cuts off her head. She picks up the head and puts it back on, adjusts it. Like, no, I'm, I'm a freaking badass. You can't do anything to stop me. And she also has telekinesis and pushes that boiler or heater or whatever and, and crushes the, uh, well, he more like gets it on his, on the priest's foot. So the profess, the priest can't move at all. But as I mentioned, 
Catherine goes and, and tackles Kelly. They go both go flying into the portal, and it kind of looks like water as they splash on the other side. The priest says a prayer or something and throws the axe, breaking the mirror and breaking the connection. And now everyone's safe. All the people that were possessed, if they're alive or dead, the little bit of smoke comes out of their mouth, and they're now saved. It's now morning, and now light, and uh, Walter runs out and goes and get gets help from the proper authority. So now everything's been resolved. Now Brian goes home, and he has that recurring dream again. He is that emission, tachyon emission. <laughs> Sounds like something from Star Trek. From the future, and it, he gets the entire dream, and it says something like, we sent you a warning from the future, 1999. This is not a dream. This is the only way we can send this information to you. Basically, the apocalypse is happening. Do something to stop it. And this time we see Catherine now is in front of the church, and she's emerging from it, and bad stuff's going to happen. You can just tell that she is now the anti-god. She has brought Satan to our world, and we're all screwed. Uh, Brian wakes up. He sees Catherine next to him in disfigured, sort of like how Kelly was, but it was just part of the dream. He wakes up screaming, you know, that that fake jump scare that he actually was still in his dream. But he kind of wakes up. He goes over to his mirror, and he's just sweating. He's nervous, and he looks into the mirror behind him, which is kind of interesting. Is there? It looks like a picture of a nebula or um, supernova explosion could be a photograph, and it kind of looks like Satan. You can kind of see little eyes in there, and it's all red. But Brian touches the mirror, unsure of whether he was able to open a portal here or anything. He's just not too sure what to believe in anymore. And then the movie ends. I know I went through it pretty quickly. There's a bunch of other characters I didn't talk about. They really are just cannon fodder for the movie. Some of them have really good performances. They get to know a little bit more about them, whether they believe in what this green liquid is or not. And I think there are solid performances all around by mostly everyone, except the whole love interest thing between Brian and Catherine. I really think that they just got really bad actors for this role. And it's just not interesting. It's not written very well. The whole sacrifice at the end, you never get a sense that they really were in love. It was more of a just, uh, well, you're kind of here and I guess I like your mustache, so we'll have sex type of thing. It really didn't fit that well. Some really good performances by Donald Pleasance, Victor Wong, of course. Uh, Alice Cooper as the main hobo or the main um, homeless person was pretty good because he was just covered in white makeup. And he looked pretty creepy and menacing as he's staring across the street at all the students in the church. So that was kind of good. A lot of the effects were good. Uh, Some of the kills, um, use of bugs, and everything was done pretty pretty well there no, no big special effects though maybe for the mirror but that was a lot a lot of a lot of light coming out of it uh this movie's kind of hard though because you, you really again don't get your hand held by it and you have to watch it again and again if you want to really kind of figure out what john carpenter is trying to say so do i recommend it if you're a john carpenter fan and you haven't seen this definitely watch it i would definitely give this a watch but i don't know if it's necessarily scary i think the first half of it is scary when it's all getting set up you're confused you're trying to figure it out creepy creepy things are happening in the church like they're trying to study things and now there's worms and bugs covering the windows to make them feel like they're being trapped inside of this building which it kind of are just the creepiness of the atmosphere and along with the music helps but once they get pos- all the people get possessed by the anti-god and they're going around it, it kind of becomes just a silly 
like any or not silly, but any zombie movie you've ever seen, it, it kind of unfortunately goes that route of of kind of what's going on. Oh no, my friend, what's wrong with him? Or people not reacting like they normally would. Of hey, I see you at the end of the hallway, and I'm talking to you, and you're not responding. Oh well, I guess I'll just go into this other room and not say anything. Of course, as a regular person, you would see someone at the end of the hallway, and you you yell at them, "Hey, we're all meeting in this other room," and they don't respond. They stand there staring at you. Yeah, something's not right, and you would act differently. So as a whole, um, it's kind. This is kind of a hard recommend. If you're a fan of horror and you haven't seen this, check it out. If you don't like horror, um. No, you can give this a pass. I like this more, more more than I did than I was a teenager. That is for sure. It's one of those movies that needs multiple viewings to really appreciate it. So that was Prince of Darkness, directed by John Carpenter from 1987. If you could rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get us, that would be great. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at RewindersPod, or you can email us at RewindersPodcast at gmail.com. Joe will be back, and actually, I believe our episode after this will be our one-year anniversary of the Rewinders. And I'm going to tell you ahead of time is we're going to review Gremlins 2, the new batch. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody.